1: Get up earlier than everybody else, work harder, um, and try and find some mentors. Um, I think the entertainment business, unlike surgery, is um, very hard to navigate through, through book learning. And um, if you can find a human resource who's generous enough to share with you, um, work hard at finding mentors. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am so excited. I don't even know how I'm excited. I just got off of a plane. I flew for, God knows, 13 hours from Shanghai, China, landed at LAX, gave them my immigration form, ran into an Uber, came here with my bag in hand, and there he is, Shep Gordon, walking right in, the legend, the man, the myth. The guy who's coming out with an amazing book that we're going to talk about called They Call Me Supermensch A Backstage Pass to the Amazing World of Film, Food, and Rock and Roll. And let me tell you something, I've been trying to get this guy for. Let's see. I think Falco had a hit on the radio the first time I (laughs) actually asked him, but it's good to see that he's here. He's laughing. He's excited. I don't know where I am. I went to Tokyo. I went to Thailand. Why are there no American men in Thailand? There will be after this episode, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, thank you so much. You guys have been, as always, amazing. So supportive. I can't even believe the texts and emails. In my office, I got a steamer trunk somebody sent me with stuff i don't even know what a steamer trunk is but it's in there and you guys are very creative reaching out to me i really appreciate it i wish i could meet with all of you and talk with all of you but if i did i would be living in a dumpster behind ashmont station but thank you so much i appreciate it and thank all of you who have been so kind So I'm looking across from Shep Gordon, a legendary man in all forms of entertainment, and it's so exciting to see him. And as you know, when I look at my guest, I never know exactly what I'm going to say, but... When I look at him, I know exactly what I'm going to say now, even though I have no voice. Let's
1: go to Thailand. Let's go to Thailand.
0: That's right. But that's actually what I think of when I see him, because getting back from this trip, and this is the first vacation that I've ever taken by myself alone, probably for over two decades. When you're, again, I don't expect everybody in the audience to know about Japan or Thailand or China, But one of the things that happens when you go there as an American is you are treated like you would treat your grandmother or your grandfather or your mother or your father or your closest friend or your most cherished loved ones. But the difference is, is that everyone treats you that way. Everyone treats you like a million bucks. Everybody treats you like their most important mission in the world is to make sure that you go back and you tell everybody that the people here are the greatest people in the world. Well, what I wanna tell you guys about this and how it relates to this man I'm sitting across from is that I think what'll help you most to start this cold open, I think it'll be better this way for you to really understand how the relationship between Shep Gordon and my trip to Japan, China, I'm curious. and Thailand relates. This is what some people had to say about Shep Gordon. Reality has never seemed too important in the 50 years Shep and I have been working together. When we need something to happen, Chef just works his magic to simply make it a reality. I'm still not sure how he does it, he just has the natural ability to create scenarios and relationships that help to get you where you need to go. Alice Cooper. Next quote. Sheb Gordon loves life. And they call me Supermensch is his joyful, soulful and hilarious account of how he found some purpose for his own life. One for the good guys. Michael Douglas. Next quote, Snoop said I was the only one to smoke them under the table, but I remember more than once when the pot party ended, the Shep and I were the last ones standing. <laughs> Let's burn another one soon, Shep. Willie Nelson. Super Mensch is an understatement. I've known Shep Gordon for more than 40 years. He's the real most interesting man in the world. Sammy Hagar. I'll give you one more. This one from actually a publication. At a time when people feel compelled to revel in and share their excesses, and Gordon does share a few of his, it's refreshing to find a story in which the search for meaning trumps the search for mischief. Publishers Weekly. So what I'm trying to say here is that Shep is a guy who's always lived his life treating people like a million bucks. He's always lived his life in a way where when he leaves a conversation or a negotiation or anything having to do in business, no matter how difficult or how easy it is, he leaves that area of the business better for being there. He leaves it as a guy who, when he leaves, just like those three countries when you leave, you leave thinking to yourself, these are the nicest people in the world. And when you deal with Chef Gordon, you leave life the same way and your business the same way, whether it be clients that he's worked with or people who he's worked against. I'm sure he's negotiated a few contracts where he's left blood on deals, but I would probably guarantee that those people, after the shock of knowing that they paid how much they paid, realized, Hey, you know, I'd still like to get a beer Mm -hmm. with Shep Gordon. And so this being probably one of the shortest cold opens i've ever done i think it's pretty clear and i think we can hammer it home right away i always say it's all about the relationships it's all about how you treat people we've always heard in our lives treat people nice on the way up because you're going to see the same people god forbid if you're on the way down and when you're around somebody like shep and i've never met him before i've never been around him before And the minute I met him walking in with my bags, I had that feeling like, ah, (laughs) everything's going to be okay. It's going to be a wonderful time. We're going to have a fantastic sit down together. And if I feel that way, after 30 seconds or a minute, imagine how all the people who you work with in your lives, everywhere in business, whatever you do out there, who's listening, Imagine if you're able to create that. Imagine if you're in the law office and people actually say about you, man, that's the best lawyer we have at the company. They do the best work. But you know something? That's also the nicest person we have in the office. Imagine if you're number one in both areas, what you can accomplish. And I think if you can do that and you can create those wonderful, wonderful relationships, but also be incredibly smart with how you do business, Shrewd, and also create these ways to do your business like Shep has that are so innovative. You're talking about a guy who was involved in rock and roll and then somehow figured out a way to change the pattern. And if you can change the pattern in anything, even if it's a great behavior, to another great behavior, let alone a bad behavior to great behavior, but you can go from one great kind of lane to another most people will always say including me find your lane go with your lane but chef's lane first and foremost is kindness generosity respect for his fellow men and women and that's the umbrella at the top and so that allows him to seamlessly go from one career and then start another area of business like he did creating the whole super chef Generation, which we'll talk about, to be able to do something like that equally well in both areas, to tell you how rare that is—that's like when Les Moonves made the decision at CBS to just have a guy walk in who really never had done much of anything, Mark Burnett, and say, "You know what? Yeah, we'll put Survivor on the air." Well, well, Mr. Moonves, we don't have anything like that. We have scripted shows. You don't do reality television. Well. I'm ready to try it. I'm going to work just as hard as I do in that area as this area and we'll be just as successful if not more and great people and great minds can change and figure out a way to change patterns and get to the next level in anything they do if they put their mind to it. So I think the lesson today for myself after coming back from where I came and for all of you out there is take your business and your personal life and don't be an asshole. Don't be mean to people treat people with respect after you deal with them, make them want to work with you again. When you leave the room in that sales job and they close the door after you said goodbye, think of them talking to themselves afterwards. My God, we have to work with that guy again. And if you can create those kind of situations in your career, I can guarantee you, you'll have the kind of business life that Shep Gordon has had. Here we go in three, two, this
1: show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and see me.
0: I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied.
1: If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz.
0: Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses, Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. <laughs> And firing me up, cats. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What now? On the air. Barry cats, back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Now we all know there's stories of people who were homeless. No one told them that they loved them, and they use that to fuel them to have a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that you hear their parents loved each other. They told them they loved them every day. Do you think sometimes? the most successful people are the ones that didn't get the love. Cause yeah. I wonder when I tell my kids uh, 10 times a day that I love them, I wonder if that means that they're going to be strung out. And... I don't think,
1: I think I've seen some really wonderful successful people who came from amazing families. So there's
0: hope. Yeah. Okay. Hope. All right. Keep going. So you were so, saying you're so, angry at your mom. So, um,
1: well, as I wrote the book, I realized that, um, I'm sort of living my dad's life cause he lived of service. He, my, my impression of my life growing up was that my dad worked 24-7 to feed me and my brother and my mother, pay for the house. He had no life. He had no social life. No, I didn't know until way late in my life who he was before marriage, which was this wild party animal. I never even, it wasn't even a thing. So he really gave up his life in service and was always joyful was always happy we laughed and you know but um but I, in my house my brother had a dog and the dog was very vicious so it, it uh i never had a friend at the house because no one would come in one kid came in and got 30 stitches so nobody else ever came in and i didn't leave my room much because the dog would bite me so i was basic i would play basketball till it was dark and then I would go and sit in my room, and they'd bring dinner to the room, basically, because I couldn't leave the room.
0: Why would your parents keep the dog?
1: I would ask my dad. You know, my mom was nasty, so she would just say, your brother wants to be a veterinarian, and he needs to have dogs.
0: So can't you keep the dog on a leash the or something? They did keep
1: it in the, in the utility room a lot of the time. It was in a leash in the backyard, and it was in the utility <clears> room, but it would bark all the time, and I was just scared. I was really, it bit me, but I still have a bunch of scars.
0: So chances are you never owned a dog. Never
1: owned a dog, yeah. No, my friends put the dogs away when I come over. So I spent a lot of time alone. And um, when I went to college, I always felt like that was the first day of my life. Um, I always defined that as the first real day of my life. And um, went to college, didn't take it very seriously. Um, Ran poker games, started to deal drugs. Get through college. Went to graduate school, new school for social research. Let's start here for
0: a second. How old were you when you took your first drug, and what was it? I was a sophomore in college. It was a joint of marijuana,
1: and uh, I loved it. A guy named Jerry Singer, who I'm seeing next Thursday in New York, who lives in St. John's. We're still friends. And then the second drug I took was Robitussin AC. The cough syrup. As Chris Rock would say, the Tussin. And I remember that I was I was reading a Harold Robbins novel. <laughs> and I read the same sentence for two and a half hours. On
0: Robitussin. On
1: my first time on Robitussin. I remember it
0: so clearly. Do they still make that, brand? I don't
1: know. It was Robitussin AC. I think they only, they only make the other one. We we found a pharmacist in Buffalo who would sell us gallon jugs of Robo AC. <laughs> 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 then I went to um, the new school. I didn't like the new school at all, um, and um, but I through that through those were days when you you know you could still be empowered. Um, we we burned ROTC car. We burned ROTC buildings. We we burned our draft cards. It was a time when we felt like a, a generation of people felt that we could affect things, and we we're social liberals i always had this image of myself on a white horse saving the day you know scooping up the princess and saving the day so at the new school some um and it was a reagan era in california i was a long hair but then i was an acid head reagan was the enemy and they came to recruit for probation officers in the state of california to the new school and i said i'm gonna go out there on my white horse and save these kids in the probation department. So I got a job at Los Padrino's Juvenile Hall. This is a long way to get to how I was a man. No,
0: it's perfect. <laughs> so I go to it's Los Pedrinos Juvenile Hall.
1: <laughs> and I'm a long hair. It's Reagan. I could tell the other guards didn't want me there. They took let me go out and play softball with the kids, and they all left, and I became the baseball. And they didn't really hurt me, but... They hit me with the bat. They, I knew that I didn't want to be there. They didn't want me there. So I drove into town that night. I checked into a motel, like Hotel California kind of motel, two stories around the pool. Took a little acid. Um, thinking about how, how screwed up my life is, I have maybe $800 in my pocket. I don't have a job. I just got beat up my first day in California for our first week. And I hear a girl screaming. I think she's getting raped because i just come from a jail. I don't know why I thought that, but I run down to the pool. I separate these two people. The girl punches me. I go to the pool in the morning. She was Janis Joplin. She's sitting with um, all these rock stars, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, the Chambers brothers. It was the landmark motel, which is where Janis ended up dying a couple of years later on Franklin Avenue, right next to the Magic Castle. The hotel's still there it's not called the Hollywood Landmark anymore. And um, I started selling uh, my, my goods <laughs> to, the, uh, to the rock stars. And one day, uh, I think it was Lester Chambers said to me, uh, we were with Jimi Hendrix and a bunch of people, and I was with my partner, Joe Greenberg, at the time. Joe and I started a live enterprises together, and um, he had moved into the Landmark with me.
0: You started your business... But you're also selling drugs on the side?
1: We're, no, we're, at this point, we're just selling drugs. So now we're partners selling drugs. We're in the Landmark Motel. Chambers' brother, Jimi Hendrix, say to us, what do you guys do for a living other than sell drugs? We just sell drugs. Uh, Lester Chambers says, you know, if you come from Watts, where I came from, and you have a new watch, the cop is going to ask you where did you get the money for the watch. So what are you going to tell someone? How do you live here? You sell drugs? And I said, you know, I'm a Jewish kid from Long Island. I don't, that's not part of my life. And uh, I think it was Jimmy or Lester said, you guys Jewish? And we said, yeah, you should be managers. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Who should we manage? And I said, the, Lester has this freak uh, from Phoenix in his basement, a guy named Alice Cooper. I bet you if I tell him I found the Jew to manage, he'd... Can you afford any money? And I said, yeah, I could give them $10, $20 a week. Because we were, you know, that was money in those days. And
0: why would you give the artists-
1: To 10? say I manage them. So I had a cover for my drug selling. I wasn't a manager. In other words, they're giving me a cover. Got it. You need a cover, they're street guys. I'm not a street guy. Street guys think that way. So they go to Alice, Alice tells a story one day, lester chambers comes in and says, i found that everybody needs a jew to manage him i found the jewish guy and he'll give you 20 dollars a week and are you kidding <laughs> we're in so they come to the motel and i start managing them
0: okay so alice is living in the basement of whose house lester, uh, lester chambers? chambers and watts In watts yeah. and alice is how old then
1: he was underage because when we got a record contract shortly thereafter his parents had to come in for court approval probably 17.
0: What was his real name? Uh, Vincent Fernier but they had already changed their name to Alice Cooper. For the band but was weird always confusing to me back then. He was Vincent he wasn't Alice. Yeah always confusing to me is when you said I'm gonna see Alice Cooper that's Alice Cooper. He was Vincent and and that came about from a PR lady named Pat Kingsley I know Pat Kingsley, PMK, who are one of the greatest publicists of all time. At a benefit recently, Alice Cooper was playing. And it said Alice Cooper is playing along this benefit. And there was a house band. And if I'm not mistaken, he came out and sang. And it was, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alice Cooper. It wasn't, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Vincent Fournier from Alice Cooper. I'll
1: tell you the story. So... um... The band was, in my opinion, not very good, which was a positive because it meant I wouldn't have to do any. I not I didn't know what to do as a manager. I didn't want to do any work. The worst thing that could happen to me is anybody liked them, because then I had to do something. So, and they were horrible, in my opinion. And I'm, I say it to Alice's face, and he laughs about it. He says, "You always says that we met on a lie." Shep told me he was a manager. I told him I was a singer, <laughs> which is, <laughs> and it was sort of true. Um, so anyway. Everybody starts get, getting busted around me. Um, my connections are getting busted. Everybody, I got to get out of the business. What am I going to do for a living? I like the band. So we had a meeting and I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to become a millionaire. Somehow. If you want to try and do this together, we'll figure out how to make it work. Um, if not, no problem. But if we do it, let's shake hands. We stay together to we we'll And that's what we did. And um, one of the first things I did was um, asked Lester, and you know, how do you do this? And they introduced me to a guy named Albert Grossman because Paul Rothschild was living there and Janice's manager was Grossman. And he explained to me a little bit, you got to get a lawyer, you got to get a PR person, you got to get a so PR person they recommended. was Pat Kingsley. Took all the guys to her office, took a meeting. She asked me to have the guy step out of the office and she said, listen, Chef, I don't know how to make five guys named Alice Cooper or Stars. Give me one guy, call him Alice Cooper that I know how to do. So I went back into the lobby and I said, we got to pick one of you to be Alice Cooper. (laughs) She said, we have to do it. (laughs) So we voted Alice, became Alice Cooper. We changed his name legally to Alice Cooper.
0: Wait, you're trying to tell me that when you walked out in the hallway of PMK, there were five band members there. And who had shook hands to all be together till we were millionaires, and so those five members, when you went in the hallway, you're actually saying to me that the drummer thought to himself, "Hey, there's a shot I could be Alice Cooper."
1: oh yeah, yeah, no, we all talked about it. who's the best person to do interviews, who's the best talker? He was the lead singer. It just made sense for him to be Got Alice it. Cooper. Okay. Um, they and they us. were okay with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There no, wasn't even a question. We just did it. We went to court, got the name changed, um, and off we went until...
0: But there and, was never a name of the band. It's Tom it Petty and the it was,
1: Heartbreakers. Well, not? it was weird because we were different because we had, we had made this agreement. We were all in it together. So whether one person had the name, what ended up happening...
0: You can tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I'd be stunned if you can look me in the eye and tell me that all five band members were favored nations and made the same yeah, amount oh yeah, of money. absolutely. Exactly the same. Not one penny difference. Not one penny So difference. Vincent never made more money than the Well, I'll the tell drama. you the end of the
1: story, which is very public, and it's in their books and it's in our books, that split everything exactly equal, not one penny different. And what ended up happening was that Alice started to have to work 10 hours a day and they didn't have to do anything. Because when we got successful, he's doing every press conference, he's doing every interview. He's doing, his day was a nightmare. He turns into a horrible alcoholic. He didn't have five seconds to himself. These guys are out driving Rolls Royces playing golf um, and they come to do their show. Alice was you know, up every morning at 7 o'clock to do 50 interviews. Um, it was tough, but we were all in it together. That's what we had picked. That was his job. We had all agreed on it. We shook hands. It wasn't even a question. He never asked for a penny more. I never suggested a penny more. And then over time, they started to get jealous of him getting the attention. And I would sit him down and say, guys, you split the money equally. He does all the work. How about thank you?
0: Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. And even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it.
1: Like... They would, I, we'd get into fights about, we'd land at an airport at 12 o'clock. He'd have to be at a TV station at 1230. All they had to do was go to the hotel. They would go get really pissed off that the car dropped him first. How come he always gets dropped first instead of us? Well, he's going to work. He's got to be there to work for you guys. And it, it started to get, and then they started to say when, you know, they started to get to a point where, Nobody respects what we do. Um, they only respect Alice. And then, for the first time in our history, they called a the band meeting, and it was like, "You're calling a band meeting without you? Vincent." No, everybody. But I always did. This. I was the only one who called band meetings. They never called band
0: meetings. Did they? You know how they're in in sports, there's player-only meetings, and then there's right. player-coach meetings.
1: They, they did some. Band meetings without were you, me.
0: Were you in the, that meeting? Most
1: of them, but this meeting I was in, definitely. Okay. And we sit down. And, Who leads uh, the meeting? Um, Mike Bruce, the guitar player, says, you know, um, we've decided, we've all talked and we've decided we want to do solo projects. And we'll come back together in a while, but we, we want to get some respect. We, we don't think we have any respect. And I said, listen, guys, we shook hands. We're in this, we're almost there with the number one act in the world. We're just about to get a check. We're, you know, we're six, we, we were, In 72, we were the biggest act in the world. Um, we're going to be millionaires in a blink. After we're millionaires, do whatever you want to do. But holy shit, come on. And I'm not going to stay with you. I'm, I'm staying with Alice. If we really split up, I want you to understand, him and I are never coming back, and you gave us everything. He's got the name like you're out of your minds (laughs) and I couldn't talk them out of it and we were very honest with them and you can read in all the books about it and they went and did solo projects and we went and did Welcome to My Nightmare and um, so that's why Alice Cooper is Alice Cooper and if you don't dig beneath, beneath the surface it seems really weird when you get beneath the surface it's life is a weird game sometimes you you agree to stuff and it
0: happens there's a song by Lucas Graham called Seven Years. And in the song, he talks about how when he, he made it, he he kept some people with him, but he had to leave some behind. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm still sorry. It's tough. song.
1: Oh, no, it's very... It's, we're very friendly, by the way.
0: Still very friendly. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. All of us very friendly. Um, they're going to play with Alice. They're, they're writing some songs together right now. They're going to play with him at a benefit he's doing. Um, I see him in New York when I'm there. We're, we've all stayed because it's...
0: Did they ever, any one of them ever come to you alone and say at any point in your career or life say, hey, I just wanted to take you aside and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? No.
1: Um, but I not only because they, they didn't have to. You know, we've all... The hardest thing, I think, for Alice and I is to... Um, realize what they let go and we did sort of what we had to do but they're they're our family they're our brothers um we we went through the wars together and one of the guys is dead now and um, but it's grown-ups making choices and you have to live with the choices you make and that's the choices they made so you know i i uh,
0: you want to know impactful alice cooper was for me and this is weird because you would you wouldn't even believe this is the case but um, I I don't think in my whole years up to being 18, maybe if I had half a beer, it was a miracle. Mm-hmm. When I went to college, I, I never did coke. Mm-hmm. I never did acid. I, I don't believe that I smoked marijuana one time in college. You're the guy who didn't do anything. I
1: knew there was one somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> didn't do anything.
0: <laughs> Yet, I believe it was, tell me, it, was it 75 or 74, uh, 18? Uh, 70
1: earlier. 70 or 71. Okay. Yeah.
0: So 70, 71, whatever it was. And that song just resonated with me Uh, and i remember it would be on the radio and i would be screaming Mm -hmm. the lyrics Mm -hmm. to the song over and over again one of my favorite songs for years it was like an anthem Mm -hmm. yet it wasn't an anthem for me for people like me i was like a guy who did nothing i wasn't a rebel but i loved the song no it hit a certain and i love the theatrical (laughs) nature of how he presented himself, yeah. and but I wasn't anything like that, so it was almost like an alter ego for right. me that I was probably hiding inside.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. When you started with Alice, you're dealing drugs. You don't even have a business plan. <laughs> Somebody tells you you're a Jew, you're going to be a manager, go find this guy. You have no system, you have nothing in place, you have no contacts, no relationships. How do you... Figure out how to make it work so quickly.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if uh, it may seem quickly
0: from the outside. You met Alice what year? Yeah, 69. We, 69. Yeah, we Two years later, he has the number one you know? song in the world with a Jewish manager <laughs> who is dealing drugs. Think, how does that happen? You know, I, I think
1: um, we... I hate to keep using the word lucky because people always say it's not luck, but we did get lucky in that um, when I was at the New School for Social Research, one of the classes in the short time I was there, one of the lectures, the guy talked about um, the difference between cultural phenomenons and art. I don't know why he went there, but it, and he said that art's very abstract. It draws a narrow audience. So some people like Picasso, some like Warhol, some like same thing in entertainment. But the big people of our times, Elvis Presley, um, Frank Sinatra, the thing they all had in common was parents who were against them, and kids. Every child goes through a period of rebellion. And he talked about Ed Sullivan Show with Elvis Presley, when his hips couldn't be shown on the Elvis Pres- on the Ed Sullivan Show that turned Elvis Presley into an overnight gigantic sensation. Because every parent said, Oh, is this disgusting? I hope you don't like this. And kids jumped to it. So we decided early on that forget about the kids, let's piss off parents. And that's where everything came from. And it worked. Because nobody was playing to to the parents. So for us, we couldn't get in Rolling Stone magazine. But if we did something like throw a chicken off a stage or tell people we're drinking the blood of chickens, we could get in Newsweek or we could get on the, on the, we could get to things parents saw where they could tell their kids, oh, my God, it's this disgusting. I hope you're not into Alice Cooper. you know. And that always, you know, I remember the first time I heard a hip-hop record coming out of my kid's room and I said, get that shit off the, what are you doing? And as I said it, I realized that was just going to drive him more to the hip-hop. Because that's the way I built my business. Um, So I think we got, in a way, we got lucky.
0: So when you met Alice, sorry, when you met Vincent, he wasn't wearing any makeup. No.
1: When you first they were wearing dresses. They had just bought um, the ice capades and done a in a thrift shop. They bought like ten dollars worth of ice capades outfits, so they had these
0: great sparkly dresses. It was the worst thing when, I ever saw. When you first saw him perform, <laughs> was were they? Was he wearing makeup? No. Okay. So tell our audience what was the inspiration for the theatrical presentation that I don't remember ever seeing from any band up until that point. Uh, it was a combination of um,
1: naivety because they weren't really a band. They had started as a track team skit. They put on wigs and Maybelline paper guitars and Maybelline, they were the Beatles and girls screamed. Mm-hmm. And they liked the girls screaming, so they decided to put a band together and take music lessons. Um, they were art students. Dali was a very big influence on them. So Dali, if you think about our stuff, is a they're almost Dali paintings, they're so abstract. Um, he was starting, he changed their name to Alice Cooper, which lent itself to these dresses.
0: What was the second choice?
1: Uh, I don't. I wasn't there, but they said it came on a Ouija board, and Alice says that it, he wanted to have the most American name he could think of. Um, so he
0: wanted to have a female
1: name. Not so much female, but American. And when they hit Alice Cooper on a Ouija board, he said, "That's an American name. No, there's no one going to believe that I'm out That these five guys with hair down to there are called Alice Cooper." I remember it was the five guys. It wasn't him, so it was a group. So it was trying to find something for shock value, like Salvador Dali, um, and that just we just kept building on that and build. The first time I saw him, he was he was doing a song called "Nobody Likes Me," and they had a door on the stage, and he had his head out the door. So they had started theatrically presenting their music even when I first came to him.
0: Incredible. So. They become the number one band in the world within two years. As always happens when you're in the business, when something great happens, people gravitate Uh to you and they think you're a rainmaker. They think you can make anything (laughs) happen. Who was the next band or musical artist that realized that or thought to themselves, I got to be managed by this guy. Um, Next one was Ann Murray. Kind of a very bizarre (laughs) departure from... Sort of
1: my pick more than hers. How Um,
0: could you go from Alice Cooper to Ann Murray? I wanted to go as
1: far as I could possibly go to see um, if I had any actual talent. Like if any of the things that I was doing, any of the thoughts I had for Alice?
0: Um, Where do you see Ann Murray? She's not performing in the clubs. I'm that... up in
1: Toronto. I'm doing a uh, concert with John Lennon, his only concert with the Plastic Only Band in those days. And Jim Morrison on the show. I got Alice on that
0: show. Jim Morrison was on the show. No,
1: uh, yeah, the Doors were on the show. It was the Doors, Gene Vincent, Alice, John Lennon, and somebody else um, at Varsity Stadium in Toronto. It was a day we used the chicken. There was a feral chicken I threw on stage with Alice and the chicken story is sort of what made Alice work.
0: Where did the idea come from for the chicken?
1: Uh, chicken we the chicken started, we were trying to we trying to figure out how to um, do something. We didn't have any money. How do how do we do something that's exciting and cool? We're doing places like the Whiskey A Go Go. And um, lighting was just starting to happen. There was um, a place in San Francisco that start, lights weren't a big part of the concert thing. But then, this, with the Grateful Dead, they started doing kaleidoscope lighting and all. And all of a sudden, there was Ooh. there was lighting, um, and we we um, I had a pillow feather uh, feather pillow in a hotel I stayed at. We did a show in Orange County. And uh, there was a CO2 extinguisher in the hallway, fire extinguisher. And I just got this idea of, what you know, if we took the fire extinguisher, ripped the feather pillow, all chicken feathers in those lights, would be spectacular. What a great way to end the show, give it a bang. I was always looking for stuff to supplement the music because I didn't have as much faith in the music as maybe I would have liked to have. Um, And it worked great, so we did it every night, chicken feathers. Um, At the end of every show, CO2 tank, blow the feathers everywhere. And then when we did Toronto, there were these actual live chickens backstage. So I said, hmm, let me throw a chicken on stage, see what happens. This could be pretty disgusting. <laughs> but I didn't tell Alice. And uh, he was doing the encore and the chicken. And he looked down at the chicken. He thought the chickens could fly, and he threw it at the audience. And uh, the audience destroyed it. And the next day, the newspaper said, Alice bites the head off a chicken and sucks the blood.
0: Why did they say that? I have
1: no idea. But it was the greatest thing that ever happened to us. It was unbelievable.
0: And when he commented on it, what was odd was, never said he didn't bite the head off the chicken. Oh, never. Oh, my God, are you kidding? That's the greatest thing ever happened. That was
1: exactly what we wanted parents to think. Um, And your
0: story uh, started with Ann Murray.
1: So um, so I wanted to see that, that the same kind of things work not the chicken being bit off, but this, you know, can I can I create history to get the message out that I'm trying to get out. Um, and so I started working with Ann Murray, and I, you know, um, the message I really wanted to get out with Ann Murray was that even though she was um, very white bread bland, she was a great, great artist, which she was. She had great uh, chops. Her voice was so pure. Um, so I thought I, I use with Alice a thing I called guilt by association. I would have Al, get pictures of Alice with Pele or pictures famous people, and the fame bleeds off. So I got um, my my crowning moment with her as I got John Lennon, Harry Nielsen, Alice, and Mickey Dolles to take a picture with her on stage, which. Just skyrocketed because John Lennon was inaccessible in those days. It was, his, it was black
0: period. And Mickey Dolans, uh, who my I interviewed on the podcast, yeah. was started as an actor yeah. and the band put together as actors uh-huh. and he ended up for one or two years being the biggest star uh-huh. in the world. And the greatest guy. Just Wonderful. a great guy.
1: Great daughter. His daughter was an actress for a while. I don't know if she still is. And he ended up being Alice's next door neighbor for a while. So um, for me, that was the challenge was to see, you know, do the management skills that everyone is telling me I'm a genius for and I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Work for someone else. And then uh, Alice turned me on to Groucho Marx, who needed some help, so uh, he was my third.
0: Now, Groucho Marx, how old is he when you meet him? 70s. Almost senile, but not... How does Alice know Groucho Marx?
1: Alice met him, they became good friends... And he, Alice started going over and lying in bed with him at night watching TV till he fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in, they both had Mickey Mouse ears on Alice and Groucho, and they were in bed <laughs> watching a TV show. And uh, I didn't do much for Groucho, but he needed resources. He was, he, he was very light on resources. So I got the TV show back on the air, and I did some licensing deals. And, you know, he was a great man. When you go to Groucho's house to have dinner, you had to perform after dinner. That was the rule of coming to dinner. The price of dinner was performing. What if you're not a performer? Well, he still had to perform. And he had um, Bud Court, Jeff Bridges. Bud Court played piano. He's the actor from uh, Harold of Mord. Jeff Bridges played guitar, and Marvin Hamlish played piano. And that was sort of, one of those three would be there as your accompaniment. So um, if you, like Alice, read poetry. And he had Marvin behind him, which was close to his thing, but Groucho let him get away with it. I would read contracts. <laughs> <laughs> I would get up and I'd get a big arpeggio from, like, you know, Budcourt. <laughs> <Core. laughs> where to Ford, I'd get maybe three words in, get him out of here, Groucho. <laughs> 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 He'd always look at me, Where, whenever there was someone else in the room. He'd look at me real hard, look at the other guy, look at me, wait till everyone noticed him looking at me.
0: You my Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.
1: Manager? <laughs> and I say, yeah, gradually. Hmm, funny, you don't look like a crook.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. And then Raquel Welsh, which was fantastic, she called me up. My secretary said, Raquel Welsh, show the phone. And I said, come on, Raquel Welsh, show the phone, you know, you kill me. She was like, and said, no, there's a lot of phones. I said, Are you, the, you that guy who made that freak famous? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, Academy Awards are tomorrow night. I'm picking you up at 7. You're taking me there. Uh, 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 uh. That's and your first call from a My Raquel first Wells. call from I, I took it at the Academy Awards.
0: How but, old is she then?
1: I have no idea. But I'm young and sweaty, and my armpits are like, you know. <laughs> it's like, I think I wore a green suit, which turned black from the sweat. <laughs> and we in those days, the Academy Awards were very
0: different. It was... Um, if, if that, when that call came in, my first words would be, who canceled?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's a good question. Uh, but there was uh, Johnny somebody, I can't remember his name, it was Mr. Hollywood, and you'd you'd see him, he'd be talking, and the car would pull up, and then he'd put his head in the car with the microphone to say hello to the person who came. It wasn't as much of a red carpet. And we'd pull up in the thing, and I'm nervous, I'm sweating. I'm crazy. And she turns to me with this big smile and says, the back of my dress just ripped. You have to hold it or it's going to fall off. And there's this little chiffon dress. Now I'm holding Raquel Welch's dress. <laughs> Newsweek took a picture and they said, Raquel Welch with unnamed escort. <laughs> was the <laughs> caption in the magazine. Uh, but she was I really enjoyed working with her. And that was a great challenge because that was... Um, really putting dough together you know her she was a um as she said to me i'm a a movie star who's getting older and i need to support my family i have a young daughter and a son and i need to make money and um i need to to figure out something i can do with this fame that i have and this sex appeal that'll translate into money because i'm not going to get it in movies and um, so I put together a song and dance review for her. We played Vegas and a lot of places. And, but it was really fun because she was good to work with. She learned, she was a hard worker. And um, it really allowed me to, to, to mold the dough. Um, and it was
0: great fun. Tell me the first artist that you worked with, whether successful or not, where you failed. They came into your office or they called you and they said, Shep, you're fired. Yeah. Never got
1: uh, never got fired.
0: You've never been fired.
1: No, never been fired. I've, I've mutually, um, I had one client who wanted me to come, I will be unnamed, who wanted me to um, be best man at his wedding. It was a naked wedding and it was a drug-induced naked wedding and I said, I can't do it. And he said, "You know, I you need you're my manager. You need to do this." And I said, "You know, I think we should agree just not to work together. If that's what you think my role is, you have such a, you and I have such a complete difference. And I get it, and I understand it, but <laughs> I'm uh, So I've had,
0: I've had that. Who else? I Luther. I would say no for different reasons. You yeah. know, basically, I wouldn't want to subject anybody to looking at me naked. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to do. That. And I never had contracts with people,
1: so it was very simple. There were, t- but I did have failures. Luther Vandross is the only client I had that I, ha- I didn't that stopped talking to me. It was after I resigned. I resigned with from everybody. I retired about twelve years ago.
0: So. so you, so you just called everybody up and you. Just- yeah, I,
1: I, it was. A, you know, everything I've done in my life has been a knee jerk sort of reaction. Um, I never really thought about stuff. I just, if it feels right, I do it. And I, I had a premiere in L.A. At Universal, one of my movies, you know, a really star-studded, gigantic premiere, I was bored to death, like bored to death. And um, I flew to Maui the next day, and I got on my hammock, and I was alone at sunset having a cocktail, and every molecule in my body was excited. And I sort of said to myself, what's it all about? Like, what what is it all about? Like a successful premiere and a miserable, lying on my hammock, I'm happy, why would I choose to be at the premiere? And I went back to L.A. a couple of days later and uh, called the Valis and I said, where are you? And he said, I'm in L.A. And I said, pick me up at lunch, because I need to get very drunk. I'm resigning from everybody today except you. And uh, I resigned from everybody. Um, and everybody was very happy for me, except Luther. He, was, he felt I had abandoned him. I had about 35 clients and about 100 chefs the chefs I did by email, except for a couple, um, the artists I all called. But as I was leaving the office that day, so I went through, he was the only one. We stayed on the phone an hour, and I said, listen, I just need to do this for me. I'm not abandoning you, but I don't, I realize I I don't even know what my life is. I've been running your life and 30 other people's lives for so many years. I don't even know what my, I don't have a life. Um, I want to see if I actually have a life. And, and what it is. Um, and um, as I was leaving, Alice came, picked me up. We're going to leave. And my secretary says, um, you got to take this call. I said, I'm not taking any more calls. I'm done. It's finished. It's over. <laughs> I'm going to Bowie. Leases up on the place. Um, I, I, I had a meeting with everybody in the office and told all my clients they could stay with people in the office, which most of them did. They all opened their own management companies shortly thereafter. A lot of them are still with them. Gypsy King's still with one of the guys. Kenny Loggins still with one of the guys. And it was George Harrison. And they had just found the Lost Tapes. And he asked me if I would um, manage that project.
0: These were the Lost Tapes they found? The and... BBC Tapes? Yes. Yeah. Um, and he asked him what?
1: If I would you know, take sort of manage that process. And uh, it was the Beatles. How do you say no to the Beatles? So I did that and then the anthology and Luther found out that I was doing it. And he just freaked out that I would abandon him and then go do that project. So he's the only one I've ever had sadly passed away because he's a great artist and I had a lot of respect for him. But, um, so I did those two projects and, and sort of got out. I did the anthology and the BBC. Um, Incredible. But I always kept Alice because he's, I don't manage Alice, I'm, it's like a body part. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's very different than any other relationship I've ever had.
0: Incredible. I think most people want to figure out how they can create a better life and what would happen if they actually...
1: Nothing happened. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, if I had the advantage of seeing having retired, not I probably wouldn't have done it. It's exactly the same.
0: You can always go back. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, I did. I went back and did the Hollywood Vampires this year with Johnny Depp and a couple of things. But um, I don't regret, but I, it didn't change anything, except that I don't have a staff, and I don't get paid for what I do. But other than that, it's the same rhythm.
0: Six degrees of separation. I'm going to name a name, tell me anything that comes to mind, and keep in mind that I have three quick questions after okay. this. So, John Carpenter. Um, Genius in what he does. Um, Genius. Jessica Lange. Um,
1: Gorgeous. um, Really talented. And um, would have loved to gone out with her.
0: (laughs) Anthony Bourdain.
1: Amazing. Uh, I'm a groupie kenny Loggins, love kenny um just love him. he's a great great man had a uh we had a special connection because um, when i started working with him I, I told him the only he was doing a lot of soundtracks and i said the only the only way i can really help you is if you really start uh, producing product from your heart and he went and he wrote an album and I came to listen to it and it was about breaking up with his wife who was standing outside the window while I was listening to the album. And I said, has she heard this yet? And he said, no. I said, I would burn the album. <laughs> and he didn't. And they got divorced. <laughs> um, but he was true to himself and he's a good man. Admiral Legassi. Lagasse. Um, there's nobody better and he's, he's, um, he's just an amazing friend and Nobody better. He loves service. I'm going to see him Monday night. Um, he's at this benefit. Just a great man. Really lucky to have him in my life. Deborah, Harry, and Blondie. Uh, Deborah was fantastic. Really great to work with. Um, we ended one of the, one of the few acts that we ended very mutually, um, and um, I wish that I could have been a bigger influence on them. Uh, but a uh, great girl.
0: Wolfgang Puck.
1: Wolfgang Puck, a great artist, um, was a, um, a difficult businessman because he was so focused on what he wanted. So it was difficult for me, but um, a lot of respect for him, and he's the one who really put me in the chef business.
0: Mike Myers.
1: Um, unbelievable. I mean, What can I say? The guy devoted two years of his life to telling my story. So I have nothing but gratitude and admiration, and I am so happy to see the life that he's found. He has beautiful children, beautiful wife. Um, over the course of the last 10 years, I've seen such a beautiful metamorphosis in him.
0: Wes Craven. Yep.
1: Another genius. We had a difficult business relationship, one of the few I've ever had in my life.
0: What made it difficult?
1: Um, I didn't feel he was reasonable with me. Um, I just didn't, I, I, I felt that he forgot um, the, the, the balance sheet of what we did for each other. Um, and sometimes that happens in business. But it's it's very rare that um, that I worked with artists and um, we weren't appreciative of each other.
0: You know, it's weird you say that because you are talking about the Dalai Lama and your philosophy and his philosophy on life. And if he came and you worked on so hard all day long all night cooking that meal for him and he didn't say thank you or if he didn't eat it and just left it that you were to feel just as grateful yeah. as if he had it yet in the artist world when somebody isn't that way
1: it no this was different this was a different this was very different um this was um without going into the details of it and and Everybody sees things from two sides, and he's a wonderful man. And, but we were in a business relationship where um, I, um, I used a lot of my resources, which I didn't have to, to get him through some of his problems. Um, millions and millions of dollars um, that I wasn't responsible for chose to not allow him to bear the burden, even though he made the choices that cost the money. And then we reached a situation where someone wanted to give me a lot of money that wouldn't have cost him any money. And he wouldn't allow him to do it. And it was, it's not coming from you. It only helps me. Why would you, after what I did in our relationship, at least what I think I did, and we couldn't see eye to eye on it. And it, it was so abstract that it just, I couldn't find a reason to continue the relationship. Um, I, I, without getting specific, it's probably hard to hear. But if you know the movie world, so he did movies for me, and he, he went over millions and millions of dollars. And I never, I had a contract where he would have to pay it, and I never made him. It came out of my pocket. And then he did a sequel for, he did a movie for the Weinstein Company and was very successful and I let him out of his obligations for me and Harvey wanted to give me a lot of money.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Janice Joplin.
1: Uh, Fantastic. So sad that she died so early.
0: (laughs) David Letterman. Um,
1: Unbelievable. Um, He uh, reached out to me to be on his show and uh, wrote me a couple of handwritten letters, which I realized Here is um, very unusual. The handwritten letter. Handwritten letter. The greatest. About coming, having dinner with him, which we haven't done yet. And I just reached out to his lawyer because I don't have his email to say I'm coming to New York and uh, love to have the dinner. So if you're listening, David, let's have dinner.
0: I was a producer on his first television show, one of the greatest times of my life. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, Amazing. What a genius. And last one on here, Sharon Stone. Uh, Beautiful inside and out. Awesome. Last three questions. Your proudest moment in show business? Uh, Alice getting in the Hall of Fame. This is one of the reasons why I didn't mention Alice because I had a feeling you would say that.
1: That's definitely the proudest moment.
0: Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel your career to the next level? Um, I don't know if I used it to fuel to the next level, but I think my biggest
1: disappointment, there was a a couple of African artists, King Sonny day and Magic Fashik, who I really tried to change their lives, and I wasn't successful. Um, And I, I, I would have liked to have been.
0: Last question. What advice would you give to the young drug dealer? <laughs> hey, come see me. S- selling drugs. <laughs> wants Stop to by a- my house. Wants to get it the- <laughs> the- <laughs> That didn't come out right. <laughs> what advice would you give to the young person out there who wants to be in the entertainment business, wants to have a great career, doesn't know how to get there and have the kind of career you've had, but also... What advice do you have? You work with so many artists who are geniuses, great people. What advice do you have for them—the path to get to the next level as well—and that's the last question. I would say uh,
1: get up earlier than everybody else, work harder, um, and try and find some mentors. Um, I think the entertainment business, unlike surgery, is um, very hard to navigate through through book learning, and. Um, if you can find a human resource who's generous enough to share with you, um, work hard at finding mentors. And the only way you're going to find them is telling them you want to, you, you want to be, a, you know, you want them to be your mentor. Don't be shy. People can say no. If I hadn't reached out to His Holiness, I would never have been cooking for him if I hadn't reached out. And I've had plenty of people say no. Um, but you just got to keep trying. And if you get lucky, hook up to someone and... Um, be very quiet and listen.
0: Chef Gordon, this has been amazing. You have <laughs> exceeded anything I ever imagined and that's pretty fucking hard to do. Tremendous. I'm going to remember this day. Really wonderful. So inspirational. Thank, Thank you, you so
1: much. Thank you for having me here. It was fun. Awesome. See you in Thailand.
0: Life is for the dreamer. They have all to gain. It's never quite over. Till so it all feels the same. You pick your own point.